you know, I've seen all these kids that come in that, you know, maybe are less confident. And the simple fact that they're training with someone, you know, that they respect that is has success in the baseball world, you know, you can see their posture change. Mm-hmm. You can see every the, the way they walk change. You know, they, they walk with a little bop now. You know, they got a little swag to them. And I guarantee you he's going to be better at the plate as well. And it always is the case. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is presented to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. Now, on today's episode, I welcome Steve Johnson, founder and CEO of Leg Kick Nation. Steve is also an economics teacher, and I got the pleasure of hearing Steve speak at Bridge the Gap, and I knew he would be a perfect fit for the show because he completely blew me away with his presentation. Well, on the show, we discuss Steve's method of rejecting the model of Teacher King in order to foster an environment of curiosity in which students take responsibility for their own progress, as well as how he teaches methods to reach the state of flow. If you've never heard of flow, you're going to hear it a ton in this conversation. But we also discuss how to practically teach these things and apply them to baseball. Ladies and gentlemen, I love this conversation, and here is Steve Johnson. Steve, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Definitely. And uh, as I was telling you, uh, just a forewarning for our our listeners today, uh, our practice field is right next to a highway, and we did cuts and relays today. So if I sound a little bit more raspy than I usually do, then that's the reason why, because I was yelling at kids on where to go today, and they were yelling back at me. They couldn't hear me because we've got cars going about a thousand miles an hour right behind us. But, but Steve, I, I'm I'm I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long, long time. And after hearing your presentation at Bridge the Gap, you completely won me over because essentially you're a teacher at heart. And you and I were talking about uh, the podcast, and you're like, "Hey, I've never done one before," and and I said, "Hey, you're a teacher. You can literally." do anything that you want. And so I just want to know, you know, you love teaching and you're an economics teacher and and you don't coach at the school that you're at. You do it on the side. So how did you really, how did you get into teaching and coaching the way that you did? Yeah. Um, you know, to be honest with you, it's kind of a, uh, we would be here for about three hours if I told you my whole backstory on how I got into teaching and coaching. But sure. the coaching aspect is actually a byproduct of, you know, kind of me getting into teaching. Mm-hmm. And ironically, like most te- most people that go into teaching want to go into teaching to to you know teach kids and educate all stuff. But really, you know, when I was done playing and and thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, you know, and that's when I really started thinking about learning and mm-hmm. how much I loved, you know, kind of just consuming information and knowledge and being a student. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to be a student a student again. So I figured, you know, maybe if I go back to school in some setting, you know, I'll also learn. And, 
you know, that's kind of, I guess, the uh, you know, foundation to a lot of my philosophies and how a teacher should be um, is a perpetual student. You know, so I got into teaching and coaching just because I want to continue my own learning, um, you know, and, and, and that's kind of how I got into teaching. And then, you know, the coaching thing worked out just because of my baseball background. And we opened a facility, which I never wanted to do in a million years. Mm-hmm. Um, we opened with about 3,000 square feet. And now we're at um, I mean, around 25,000 square feet. So that's we're going huge. in the wrong direction. That's just, yeah, it's unfortunate, but um, <laughs> we're going in the wrong direction in terms of size, but, uh, but it's, it's fun. And, uh, you know, we do, a, we do uh, I think, a lot of good stuff. But, you know, that's kind of how I got into the teaching and coaching element. Definitely, definitely. And again, I, I'm going to reference your your talk of Bridge the Gap because, you know, I, I'm a guy who listens to at least a podcast a day and, and I try and read a couple of books a month and and watch the ABCA videos from the main stage like crazy. But literally, yours is one of my favorite presentations that you've ever given because you talked a lot about the teacher-student relationship. And, and it's something that I've been really focused on in the last couple of years. And, and I used to be what you would consider a teacher king. And you did too. So why don't you just take us through what a teacher king is, and and you know what what your realization behind that, and and your progression since then. Yeah. So basically, I mean, we all grew up into the school system and and kind of knew exactly how schools were operated. It's kind of a hierarchical system where teachers are are up above, and, and students come in, sit in the class, and, and learn from whatever the content the teacher wants to put out there. Um, and I did that for you know the beginning just because I didn't know any other way, but. Really, when I started seeing how kids learned, how kids grew, how I learned, how I grew, I realized that it's just, you know, a completely flawed system. And, you know, this is kind of some of my Twitter and Instagram wars, unfortunately. Oh, uh, I'm not well-liked I'm, I'm well in the, uh, in the uh, education field, even though I'm, I'm part of the education field. But it's just the, the, the compartmentalized education um, or the compartmentalized nature of a school system, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of handcuffs kids. And it kind of handcuffs their curiosity, you know. So for a kid that literally goes to my class, economics, he then flips over to a history class and then a math class. But there's mm-hmm. there's no underlying, you know, connection. Um, so, you know, because there's no connection between the three classes, there's no mastery, no purpose and, and really no autonomy. And I really started focusing on that word autonomy um, when, when I started doing, you know, baseball instruction. And I started realizing that, you know, that kids. You know, kids looked for their their teacher and they looked for the instructor for the answers. And unfortunately, in in our ever evolving landscape, uh, you know, if, if you're looking for someone else for the answers, you know, you're going to be handcuffed a little bit. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of my a lot of my issues with with teacher kings is that we lean on them way too much, and they become the singular voice. Um, and what happens is we wind up socializing failure. Um, so everybody you know, complains about kids these days and parents and the excuse culture that we make, but it's really systemic from the mm-hmm. teacher King, um, you know, culture. Sure. When you don't allow kids to, to take ownership of their process, you know, you can't expect them to take ownership, ownership of their failure. So, you know, we socialize it. Um, it becomes the coach's fault, the teacher's fault, the boss's fault. So we've skewed accountability enough that there is no self-responsibility, which creates a you know, pretty much a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. So there's no self-introspection um, about the failure. So, you know, uh, and rather than failing, okay, well, here's why, let's fix it. it it's why you, it's the coach's fault, teacher's fault, it's the principal's fault, um, it's whoever's fault. And, and unfortunately, that's not a, a very good growth way to grow. So I've gotten into a lot of debates lately about this 
it's what I what I've labeled the teacher king. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one there was one recently on Twitter, which is great, and you know saying that, and I get this a lot on my Instagram page. Um, you know, don't don't have kids swing like Josh Donaldson because they're not Josh Donaldson. And it's like, well, okay, so how should they swing? And am I the one that's going to tell them how to swing? Am I the guru, the expert? So that would mean that I'm omnipotent enough to understand where this kid is going to, you know, travel for the next nine years, mm-hmm. um, both, you know, performance-wise, growth-wise, physiologically-wise. And to me, you know, to, to, to rely on a singular voice um, like that is, is uh, like I said, handcuffing uh, kids' growth. And what I would laugh at is if, if you don't let a kid swing like Josh Donaldson, you know, we're using Josh Donaldson as an example, you know, when the hell is he, when the hell is he supposed to swing like Josh Donaldson? When he becomes mm-hmm. Josh Donaldson, yeah. did, did, did Josh, did Josh Donaldson start walking around like he was Josh Donaldson when he became an MLB MVP or did he become an MLB MVP because, you know, he started putting in the, in the work and being Josh Donaldson years and years beforehand. So, you know, I, I, I take, I, 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 as a teacher, I take um, offense a lot of times to, to uh, other people, you know, trying to handcuff kids' curiosity because it is that curiosity that, that leads to growth. So, oh, absolutely, and you know, I I was gonna come all the way back to around to what you just talked about, and that's we've got well one to have curiosity. We I think we've got to hook them into something that they're interested in or something that that it really hits home with them. And then they're going to start asking the right questions. And, you know, let, let's talk about it from a, a hitting instructor or just a baseball guy standpoint. How do you get them to have that curiosity? And, and maybe you have a lot of kids who already do, but how do you kind of foster an environment that that, that looks like? And, and then how do you how do you navigate? How do you navigate the conversations whenever they're having those, I guess? Yeah. So, you know, our, the, the system that we set up in our facility is completely different than I think the majority of, of hitting places and training places. I mean, we're a strictly membership facility and there's no lessons. So nobody's going to come in and do a one-on-one lesson. Pretty, I mean, ever. so it's, it's, it's a community based, I'll say instruction facility. Mm-hmm. And we, we challenge the kids both in terms of athletic instruction um, or uh, I should say athletic training. Um, but then we also challenge the kids in, in other ways too. So, you know, we actually have like a book club uh, on Saturdays. We have uh, what we call the Flow Academy. So we talk about, you know, all sorts of stuff. So last week we talked about goal setting. We talked about, you know, how to do better in school. So it's, again, it, it transcends because the skills that we're, we're building in the athletic field, you know, transcend into the classroom and transcend into their lives. So, you know, the way we set up our culture that helped with creating sort of the curiosity in the kids. Um, but then, you know, we allow kids to explore. So case in point, we have an 11 year old kid. He came in yesterday and we had to hack attack up to 90 for some of the older guys. He was like, awesome. no, can I jump in? Can I jump in and hit, you know, and you know, you got to weigh, you got to weigh a little bit, uh, uh-huh. you know, the, the, the health of the 11 year old kid jumping in against 90. But you know, at the end of the day, we're like, man, yeah, if you want to deal with it, let's see what you got. Let's take three swings. Mm-hmm. You know, so he swings and misses aggressively at two, and then the third one, he you know he pops for like two fifty. So now that kid is going to go home and tell his mom and dad that you know he just hit a ball ninety miles an hour, two hundred fifty feet, and he's going to be excited and he's going to do all this good stuff, and then he's going to come back the next day, which you know we, as a membership they can come every day, come back the next day to do it again. Yeah, he he swung and missed at a bunch of them, right? But the one is the one he's going to remember, and then he's going to enjoy that, and then that's going to help him 
you know, kind of grow and want to come back in and, and kind of continue his growth process. And, and again, the more he misses, the more he's going to learn from, from his failure. And the more he crushes baseballs, the more he's going to learn from his successes. And again, he's in an environment where he's training with, you know, college guys, pro guys, and, you know, our instructors kind of, you know, serve as bumpers in the bowling alley. So, you know, we're there to, to help and guide, but we're not there to tell this is exactly the way you're going to swing. And this is the singular way you're going to swing just because again, like I said, that that's going to handcuff their growth because it's going to handcuff their curiosity. And, you know, unfortunately 99.9% of the kids that anyone trains in athletics is not going to make money on athletics. Mm -hmm. So if we're not training those lateral skills, you know, we're not training kids to be curious and we're not training the kids to be elite level problem solvers Mm -hmm. because that's all, that's all elite level athletes are just elite problem solvers in their domain. So if we're not training that, then what are we really doing? We're helping a kid hit a baseball just a little bit better. Okay. That's cool. But you know, we're trying to set him up for success outside of the game as well. So, I mean, that's sort of our, our process and, and how we try to instill curiosity in, in all our athletes. Mm-hmm. And the cool, the cool part about that is, you know, the 11 year old kid is hitting with the high school kid. So the high school kid is teaching the 11 year old kid. And then all of a sudden, you know, a D1 thud comes in and he starts conversing with all these kids. And again, environment breeds learning and breeds growth. It's not the teacher kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of that's kind of really where I, I started applying it to the teaching field as well. When I started seeing how the the flow of our of our athletic environment was, and I was like, man, this could be the exact same flow in the educational world. You know, so that's that's uh, you know our facility and, and how we do the the curiosity piece. No, I think that's fantastic, and you know we can, we can go so many different directions with that because I, I think all of that is is so good. But I think you you know you're you're get, being in an environment that's competitive, you get those those dopamine hits like like you talked about with the eleven year old of hey I squared this ball up, and then we're yeah, getting them yeah. addicted to that training and getting them to want to want to come and play baseball every single day, and and I I think that that's huge, and especially you know I. We talk about the kids these days, but the kids these days are just really good at what they want to be good at. And it, at right now, video games are very addicting. I mean, obviously, and and they they hook you early, and then the further you go, the harder, the little bit harder it is. And if our training's like that, then I hope that, or that is my hope that that they can they can become addicted to training like that, and, and instead of uh, instead of any, obviously, you have some time for video games on the side, anyways, but. But I think that we can model that as, you know, baseball coaches and trainers is, is it can be hard, but we've got to hook them and then make that a little bit harder than the day before, not too hard to where they don't want to come back every single day, but not too easy to where they get bored and they lose that curiosity. Is that, are those some of the, some of the things that you guys try and set up as well? I mean, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, again, we're trying to create um, an environment where kids can be creative. You know, hitting a baseball is generally a teachable skill. You know, but creativity is not. Right. And to succeed, to succeed both in baseball and outside of baseball, you need to be creative. You need to, like I said, you need to be an elite level problem solver. Right. So that's, I always compare pretty much my childhood to the kids' childhood and, and kind of what's happening in the, in the, the culture of, of baseball. And, you, you know, you look at it, when I was a kid, we were outside all day and playing all day. Um, it was very informal. And, and you wound up getting thousands of at-bats. You know, no pressure really besides just competing with your friends and competing with your older brothers or mm-hmm. younger brothers or whoever, you know, but now you have 
you know, parents shuffling from tournament to tournament. You know, they're playing more formal games, like significantly amount more formal games, but, you know, they're getting a lot less reps. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they're playing so many formal games and, you know, the pressure to get trophies and all this other crazy stuff that I always tweet about, it loses something for the kids, right? Because it's no longer the kids' game. It's the parents' game, really. Right. Yeah. You know, it's the parents, the parents doing it for their own ego. So how do you, you know, get the kids hooked into to competing and hooked into to wanting to compete and not and, and, and really being okay with failure? So if you go to a formal game and you lose, well, that was the goal to win to win the trophy. Mm-hmm. So you're actually not learning anything from the failure because you didn't succeed. But when you competed with, you know, for example, I competed with my older brothers and their older friends. I was the youngest kid in, in the group playing. Well, you know, I failed a lot, right? And you learn from that failure because it's okay to fail because, hey, I'm supposed to lose because they're older than I am. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think a lot of our culture right now is focused so much on, on gameplay and formalized gameplay that they're actually getting less reps and becoming worse off for, um, in terms of the baseball aspect of it. But in terms of creating critical thinkers and people that are willing to accept failure and, and, and grow from failure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're doing a pretty poor job at, at that as well. Um, so how, how do you hook kids into it? Well, you know, like you said, you give them a little bit of a, some dopamine kicks every once in a while, you put them in an environment where they can compete, where they can compete with older kids, younger kids, whoever, um, and where growth and development is the, you know, the goal mm-hmm. and, and winning and losing is just a byproduct of that goal, you know? And, and I always laugh about the, the Dominicans who seem to be taking over baseball. I mean, they throw really hard and they hit really far, you know, but they're not winning every little league world series, you know? So when they're, when they're 10 to 12 years old, you know, maybe they're not putting the ball on the ground and just throwing strikes and doing what they got to do to win a trophy, but they're developing in a very, very fun way and being obsessed with the sport. So, you know, when we started the business, that's sort of kind of what we had in mind. You know, how do we create obsessed, mindful learners? And, and you know, that, you know, to your point about video games, it's, it's very parallel with that, you know, and, and that's, that's really what flow is. Well, before we hit on flow, which is something that we could literally, I think, spend the entire conversation on, and it's something that you brought to my attention. I mean, I read Mihai Chikchinchik Mihai's book a couple of years ago, and then you talked about it. I don't remember if it was on Twitter or not, but we'll we'll hit on that in just a second. But the first thing that, that I want to really hit home with, with our listeners, and I know that you know this already, but we're trying to train them, train our kids to be elite level problem solvers. And if we can do that in baseball, hopefully it translates to the rest of their life. Because if you can be an elite level problem solver in literally whatever job that you have for the rest of your life, you're going to be very successful. And I, I think that just kind of hits to the point that you were talking about earlier, Steve. That's exactly right. I mean, and I see that, again, I, I, I make a lot of parallels because it's my profession to the teaching world, the education world, and yeah. both mm-hmm. in ac- 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 academia and sports. But yeah, what we should be trying to do is create problem solvers, mm-hmm. right? Um, we shouldn't be solving the problems for the kids. And that's part of my problem with school. It's where fo- school focuses on problem solving that has, you know, definite answers. But like you said, success in, in, in life, baseball, business, whatever, you know, it doesn't come with definite answers. Creativity is the key to that success. So, you know, we really need to help kids learn how to be creative and how to problem solve. And that should be the goal of every single teacher, which is, again, I, I don't, um, you know, understand how more teachers and more coaches kind of don't 
you know, see this path, but I just based on a lot of what I've been reading lately and a lot of what's going on on Twitter, I think people are starting to catch on to catch on to that, that, you know, maybe, maybe there is a crisis in our, in our education world. Maybe there is a crisis in our athletic world and maybe there is other ways to be doing this that will help kids succeed both on and off the field. And like I said, I mean, you know, how many kids do we, do we train and teach that are going to be, you know, to get paid playing this game? I mean, it's a very small fraction of kids. So if we're not helping lateral learning, you know, if we're not helping them develop skills, it's going to make them successful off the field. Then I think we're missing the boat uh, completely. Definitely. Well, you know, let's talk about flow and just kind of go into how you teach that to your kids. And and, and even if you don't talk about a lot, I know you you mentioned that you guys in the book club are talking about it a lot. And and you got me hooked on The Rise of Superman, which is another fantastic book on flow. But, you know, what is flow for the listeners out there going, what is he talking about? I hope he's not talking about freaking some sweet lettuce hair or or something like that. (laughs) But go ahead and talk to us about flow. Yeah, I mean, well, flow can be the three letters hair. You know, <laughs> usually, usually kids that do are studs, so we, right. we encourage yeah. that, you know, at all levels. But you know, basically, I, I started. You know, I'm from the the metropolitan area, and I grew up a huge Derek Jeter fan. And to me, it was always amazing to watch Derek Jeter in, in crucial situations, time and time again. And he just always seemed to came through. Mm-hmm. And you look at his his body language, his posture, his face. He was always just so calm. And you're like, how is this guy, you know, all eyes are watching this dude, expecting him to succeed because, you know, again, it's Derek Jeter, shortstop of the Yankees. And he's just completely calm. And I'm sure he didn't have a heart rate monitor on, but uh, I'm assuming, you know, my heart rate doing your podcast is higher than his heart rate game <laughs> seven sometimes. Probably. And you're just like, how did, you know, how did he do that? And, you know, that's when I really started kind of, Looking, you know, intently on how people or successful people, you know, were able to perform under such, you know, pressure situations and completely be calm. You know, I know the ones been getting flack lately, Kobe Bryant and and the guy, you know, threw the ball and your pump faked in his face and he didn't even flinch. And you're just like, man, you know, the dude was he was so in the zone that you know nothing really bothered him. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what the flow is. And and we've all we all know what that is. We've all been there before, even if you can't explain what it is. I mean. You're playing video games, for example, as you just said, and all of a sudden, this, you know, four hours go by, and you're like, "Oh my God, I've been playing for four hours." Right. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a sense of, you know, this is of of timelessness, of selflessness, and and really a, a sense peak performance. It's it's when we shut off our you know prefrontal cortex, and basically we're just what people call in the zone. Um, and how we do that in, in most sports is. You know, I would say a lot easier than doing that in baseball mm-hmm. because baseball, you, there, there's time in between at bats. You go back to the bench, you're sitting down, you're in the outfield, you know, you're doing whatever outfielders do out there for, you know, nine innings. So, you know, there's a lot of time that can kick you out of flow. So the, the goal with baseball is really, you know, how do you, how do you capture that? And I think the person that can solve that really mm-hmm. is going to you know do a lot of good stuff in this sport um but if you look at other sports you know it's a little bit it's a little bit easier and you know basketball for example and i know everyone is making fun of J.R. smith um for not knowing you know the uh the score in the, in the basketball game and you know i kind of laugh you know it's a complete guess obviously but i think the fact that you know he didn't know the score is also why J.R. smith is in the nba mm-hmm. you know that guy has 
You know, he would go over 12 on three point shots and a 13th shot. He's just ready to put up. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. how does, how does a guy literally miss 12 shots in a row and not even blink an eye on the 13th shot where me, I'd be like, all right, well, got to tuck my elbow in a little more, mm-hmm. you know, people are, people are, people are staring at me. My heart rate is going where that dude was just so centered and in the, the game of basketball, like his singular performance that he didn't really know everything else going on around them. I think, um, you know, that's, that's an example, you know, a two-way example of flow and not flow using Derek Smith right there. But that's what we try to do in the facility. We have flow days where kids are trying to figure out what their method is to kick them into that, you know, singular focus. Mm-hmm. Um, how can you be, how can you be singularly focused in order to problem solve, you know, achieve a, a task in 0.4 tenths of a second hitting a baseball? Because once we start thinking about things, once we start thinking about our batting average, once we start thinking about, oh, what's he going to throw, what's he not going to throw, you start processing information. Let me, let me supinate my, let me supinate my back arm. Let me do this and that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once we start thinking of that stuff in the box, I mean, it's kind of over for us. So we really need to do a, a good job as baseball players to, you know, shut that part of our brain off that thinks of ourselves, our ego, you know, and one of the first books I read actually before I became a coach, it was uh, the inner game of tennis, which is yeah, just a magnificent a read. Book. I just started. It's it. an unbelievable. Yeah. It's an unbelievable read, but you know, you start, you start talking and, and, and you start reading and you're like, that's exactly how I talk to myself. You know, mm-hmm. you, you take strike one, you take strike one right down the middle of the plate. You step out of the box and you start saying, Oh man, Steven, I can't believe you just did that. You know? And, and now you're thinking about, Oh man, now everyone's looking at you. Mm-hmm. Oh, now your coach, your, your coach is in the third base box, which we've all had. Hey, you know, what are you looking at? Or, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, keep, keep your shoulder in and all the other crazy advice that they have. Cause you know, they have superhuman vision from the third base box. And again, it's just, now there's just so much going on in your brain. How can you be singularly focused in that, you know, 0.4 tenths of a second. So in our facility we're you know, we're trying to, we're trying our best to create situations for people to solve that problem. And if they can, we've seen that they've, they've done really, really good stuff. Um, when they can't, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough to play this sport. Well, I think that, you know, most of our listeners played at some level of, of baseball that, that they remember when, whenever it looked like it was a beach ball coming in. And I, sure. I, whenever you're talking about this, that's, that's how I, how I picture, you know, whenever things were going really well, the baseball looked literally the size of a beach ball. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't do any, any wrong. I was walking up with confidence and again, it didn't matter what they threw me or where I was freaking just crushing it. And then you have the two or three week span to where you literally, you couldn't hit anything with a tennis racket. And, right, you know, it's right. for me, I think flow is really important because you know, it, it's how can I get myself back on track in a way that I completely understand and and get back to where it looks like a beach ball instead of it looking like we're trying to hit a ping pong ball or something crazy like that. But I mean, that's it. You know, you play video games for four hours long and time is literally dilated, like it's mm-hmm. gone. You're like, how did I do that? You read a book and you're an hour in. You're like, wait a minute. I'm an hour into this book. I, that, that's crazy. Time went time went by like that. Um, and that's what same with baseball, you know, like you said, you can slow down the game because your brain isn't thinking about all the other stuff it wants to think about. It isn't sure, thinking yeah. about, you know, the, the self and how do you divorce yourself from a game that is so psychological? And that's what really, I mean, I would love to do for, you know, talk to people that are a lot smarter than me um, that have access to professional baseball players and just, 
you know, figure out how, what are they thinking about when they go to the box? And I'm assuming it's, it's not a lot, you know, it's, right. it's yeah, yeah. a lot of guys, see ball, hit ball and stuff like that. But if they're thinking about, you know, all this other stuff and people looking at them and, you know, that pressure comes, becomes significant and the game speeds up. And, you know, like I said, that point four tenths of a second becomes, you know, point two tenths of a second. Mm-hmm. Um, this game becomes really, really difficult, but that's the same thing. It's the same thing in life. I always laugh my classroom. I, I can always judge how well the class is going by how many times the kid goes to the bathroom. Yeah, you know, yeah. how many, how many kids are going to the bathroom during my class? And this because that means <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. These kids have checked the hell out because yeah. they want out because, you know, we're herding them like sheep into these, into these classes, make them sit in a, in a seat. So, you know, it, it's everywhere. It's not just in baseball. And again, that's back to, I guess what, you know, we have micro flow and macro flow. You know, the micro flow is that baseball element. Standing in the box, how do you how do you kind of get into the zone and, and kick yourself out of thinking about everything else? And then there's the macro flow. What's the connection uh, throughout your life? And you know, I got into an argument with Park. Not an argument, but I called out Park once. And I think once, it's only one time in my life I called out Park. <laughs> there you go. And and a lot of people demonize games and think kids shouldn't be playing games and. And then there's the counter to that saying, you know, they're kids and David Price plays Fortnite for, you know, during the world series. Mm-hmm. The only issue I have with, with gaming and whatnot is, you know, the kids are flowing through gaming till 2 AM and then they come to school and they're crashing. Mm-hmm. So there is no, there is no macro flow. There's no rest recovery from that flow of gaming. So how do you, how do you get kids to flow during school? How do you get kids to flow during class? How do you get kids to flow during training, you know? And then, yeah, how do you get kids to flow during, during video games and whatnot? But then how do you get them to recover from that flow is, is I think, another huge issue that a lot of kids suffer from or are struggling with, to be honest with you. And, you know, if, if, if anyone listening is in a school system, they understand exactly what I'm, I'm saying when kids, you know, look like zombies walk in the halls and, you know, in their classrooms, you know, fall asleep. So I think a lot of those issues are, are issues that not a lot of people are trying to address. And I think more people should be trying to address. I think it's a huge issue. Right, right. And we we could go all in on you know trying to fix school systems and, and different things like that. But uh, but we'll save that for off the mic and, and another day. Which which and for the listeners out there, I Steve is is completely transparent and an awesome awesome advocate of of the student and and I love I love hearing about that. But we do let, let's talk a little bit about baseball as well. So. Uh, so let, <laughs> sure. let's say that a student comes to you or a young man and says, Hey, Steve, man, I, I would love to get trained by you this off season. Where are you going to start? And kind of, you know, what are your main goals? Do you come up with those? Do you have him and, and just kind of walk us through your process there? Yeah, it's a, that's always been kind of evolving ever since we started, mm-hmm. you know, how do you sort of, you know, intake and assess the student athlete when, when he comes in, you know, our big thing is obviously we it's physical you know we do a full a full assessment in terms of, of movement um movement training injury prevention uh i don't do any of it because that's not my area of expertise at all sure, sure. um but we do we do that and it takes about a half hour but then you know we do the exact thing we have another hitting eval and then we have a throwing eval and to be honest with you, most of our eval is collecting data like a lot of the data that's out there we have blast we have rap soto um, we had diamond kinetics. The one thing that I'm 
kind of getting obsessed with that everyone seems to have that I don't have is the KBEST, which looks awesome. But, you know, we, we, we put all that data together and we come up with a profile for, for the athlete. But, but again, you know, kind of connecting what we were just talking about, the biggest thing for me is, is seeing how the kid learns and how the kid sort of reacts to different things. So, I like you know, I'm a big, big proponent on, on word association. And I, and I know we've talked about this before, but, mm-hmm. you know, one of the first questions I ask a kid is when I, you know, what's the first word that comes to your mind when I say hit it? So ordinarily the kid, you know, will give me a whole bunch of information based on his answer. So if I say what's the first word that comes to your mind when you're hitting and the kid says, uh, you know, don't strike out, ground <laughs> uh, right, balls, uh, you know, mom's pad, you know, uh, anything that has sort of a negative uh, connotation to it, you know, I know right away that he's, he's been through the system. <laughs> right, so, yeah, exactly. um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I always look for there are certain questions like that, just to get, you know, a gauge of how this kid is going to learn and how this kid is going to deal with being in an environment that, you know, there is no teacher king, you know, we're all on the same level. So yes, I'm an instructor, if you will, or I own the facility, but I'm right there with you. You know, we're all trying to figure it out together. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not me over you. And, you know, candidly, a lot of kids struggle with that a little bit at first because they're used to that one-on-one instruction. You know, they're used to that quote-unquote quick fix, you know? Uh, well, I go to this lesson guy once a week for a quick fix. Well, there's no such thing as that, but that's what you've been sold. And you're not wrong for thinking that because that's the what you think. So how do we, you know, how do we get you thinking in a little bit different way? Um, so that's sort of what we do when the kid first comes in, we, you know, we eval him, we give him data so he can see exactly where he ranks amongst you know, peers. And then in terms of the goal, that's, that's pretty much everything for us. I mean, the learning goal of both the classroom and in our facility, um, comes from the kid. So, um, we always ask what's your goal and we, we kind of try to make it a lot of kids are, well, I want to be a better baseball player. Well, that's right, pretty yeah. broad. You know, mm-hmm. give, a, give, a, give us a singular goal. And I'm, which has been, you know, and I understand the other side of the debate, and I love having this debate as well, but I'm very big on having huge goals and really believing in those huge goals. You know, and they may not be Major League Baseball. I mean, we've had kids that come in that want to be doctors. We have kids that want to be whatever, which is awesome. So how can I use baseball instruction in our environment to help you reach those goals? But I love when kids are like, I want to be a Major League Baseball player. Okay, well that's great. How do we become a major league baseball player? Let's set, you know, let's set minor goals to then try to achieve that big goal. But again, because of our system and because of our community, when if he doesn't reach that main goal, it's not deemed a failure because the process is really the goal, you know, the process of yep. getting there. You know, we, we try to do a really good job of, of explaining that, um, especially for the younger kids, their parents, because you know, you need buy-in from the parents as well. You know, and, and that's sort of the the goal setting is definitely student centric, which in my eyes it should be because I can't set a goal for you. And one thing that really sticks out with me is, is one, you've mentioned several times that you're with the kids, you're not over the kids. And, and I really, I truly love that. And, and that's something that I didn't do early in my career. And, and I, you know, feel guilty for it now, but also it sounds like you have a really good relationship with most, if not all of the kids that are there. And, you know, I, I want to know what's, and this is interesting because I, I can't see most kids opening up to you on the very first day, just because that, and unless they know like what your culture is and that you ask a lot of questions because most kids aren't like, that's not their natural reaction. They want to tell you 
what they think you want to hear rather than what's actually right. on their mind. So how do you kind of m- uh, maneuver that conversation in a way that's like, hey, listen, literally, I'm here for you. That's my entire job. And I just I truly want to know what you're thinking. I don't want you to think that I want to know what you want just to just tell me. For sure. I think the biggest thing that we have, we do, which is, you know, not just in the eval process, but also in our training process is mom and dad is not really associated with the conversation. Okay. And, and even during our training, we don't have parents say during training, kids stay for four hours and parents drop them off and that's it. I think a lot changes, you know, when, when they're around. Yeah, so yeah. I, I learned, I, yeah, when, when we first started, you know, the parent would be there and we'd sit down and we'd go over everything and you, and every other five seconds, you'd be looking at the dad, making sure that the answer he said was, was what it, you know, what it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we learned that is to divorce or unwed the kid from his parents a little bit mm-hmm. um, during the eval process, just so we can get a general feel. And then I asked questions in the beginning just to get a feel for him, just to have a conversation, just to see what they like, you see what they, you know, because relationships are poor over the long term is important, but in that short term is huge as well. So I genuinely asked, you know, you know, what do you like to do? Do you like to play video games? Uh, you know, how do you, what's your favorite subject in school? And what do you hate? What, what you know, subject in school do you hate? And, you know, I hate history. Well, I hate history too. That's great. You know, <laughs> Thanks for sharing. I know, uh, you know, I love history, but you know, I got to, you know, you, you kind of connect with the kid a little bit. Just sure, so yeah, yeah. he feels a little, he feels a little bit more comfortable and, and, and you try to ask different probing questions so that you get a feel generally for how the kid is going to do in your environment and what he needs from you to help Um, him succeed. Uh, Another big question that we ask is, you know, from one to Mike Trout, Mike Trout being, you know, a 10, (laughs) which is, this this is always, this one always amazing. Where, where do you think you are in terms of hitting, you know? And (laughs) and for me, if you, I mean, honestly, if you ask me that question, I'm going to say I'm on a different number scale. You know what I mean? Mike Trout, are you out of your, are you out of your mind? But yeah, most kids, uh, it, it's funny you'll have kids that say seven or eight and i'm like hello you know that's <laughs> really you know and then and then they're like yeah you know, I'm, I'm a seven eight so then you're like okay well now i know that this kid has some level of confidence in his swing because no you know now he's comparing he's comparing himself to my trap so if he said a one or a two well then you you know you know he, he shouldn't feel too bad because my trap now if i said compare yourself to a kid that you play with you know and he says a oh, one or two or seven it gets a little bit more awkward, you know? Mm-hmm. So the kids kids may lie there because they want some false sense of bravado. But um, usually when I use the light job analogy, uh, they, they're honest with it. But yeah, you ask, you ask some questions and some kids are going to be a little bit more difficult to read and other kids are going to be, you know, right on point with you. Um, and like I said, I mean, my goal, and, and I tell all the kids, just like I tell my students, I mean, I always laugh at teachers that say, this is my classroom. Well, technically it's not, it's your class, I mean, it's your education. Mm-hmm, you know, sure. so our our facility, yeah, I mean, I pay the bills, you know, but it's their facility. You know, they're the ones that are training there. They're the ones that, that need to take ownership of it. So it's always pretty cool when there's when there's balls lying around or there's water bottles um, out and about or, or whatnot. And you see the kids that truly buy into what we're doing and taking ownership over everything. They're the ones that are, you know, picking stuff up, telling kids to pick stuff up, doing different stuff. And then again, that just breeds the culture of everyone doing it. And over the past, well, we've been open now about five years, you know, it just gets bigger and bigger. And the more kids are there, you know, they teach the younger kids and, you know, grows from there. So, again, I think it's all just based on the system that you put in, you put in place. No, definitely. And, you know, we're going to have some listeners out there who are like, man, Steve, I, 
this is what I want. Like I, I want what you've got. And I'm, and I'm sure on a scale of zero to, you know, 10 on, on how you feel like you're running the facility, you're doing really well and you want to continually get better. But if there's some guys out there who are wanting to try and build that culture, because it's, it's completely different than most of the, most of the things that you see today, but what would your advice to them be? Because it is such a shift in a mindset of, Hey, you're not paying for a 30 minute lesson. You can literally drop your kids off for four hours, let them do their thing and get better. And, and you go, you know, have a coffee somewhere. And then they're going to tell you about how awesome it was to be there with a, with a bunch of guys that are just as good or better than them. So, uh, what, what would you say to, to the guys out there wanting to open up a facility like that? Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a great question. And it's one that I always fought with in the beginning too, because when you're doing the lessons and you're making, you know, the money per lesson every day, you know, you see that cash flow and you're like, all right, well, this is, this is good. <laughs> but I think that's just, you know, short-term thinking. And, and, and really my advice, because you know, I've had people ask me how you do the membership model, how you, how you've been able to grow, you know, kind of, and get people to buy in and not have that quick fix. And, and really, I think it's, it's selling uh, the kids and the parents on the transformational process of the system. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so we're, we're not selling a better baseball player. What we're trying to sell, you know, is a, is a vision of a better you. How are we going to make you the best you you can possibly be? So if, if we can do that and we can sell, sell people on this, I'll say, overarching, you know, vision of being a better person, not just a baseball player, but being a better person, being part of a community that is bigger than, you know, just baseball. I think most people are going to, well, most people that I've spoken with, you know, they, they genuinely want to buy in because, because again, I think most people want to be part of something bigger, you know, than just the sport of baseball. I think most people want to be part of a community in which, you know, you're, you're like-minded, uh, you know, student athletes um, with caring instructors that, that are, you know, there for your best interest. So, I mean, that was pretty much, you know, kind of how, how I started it. Started with that mission statement. You know, we're going to create mindful, innovative learners. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does that have to do with base? What does that have to do with baseball? Everything. Yeah, there's not base. You're right. And that's what I mean. The baseball is not even in baseball is not even in our mission statement. But that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create better, you know, learners, better problem solvers, and a byproduct of that is, you know, we've been able to create monsters. You know, and 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 it's not us, it's the culture and the, the system that we put into place. And it's the kids that are working and believing in it, um, they're, beginning, they're, they're, they're solving problems. And, you know, I think a lot of them are doing better in school. I think a lot of them are achieving goals that you know, they maybe would not have achieved. And I know for a fact, a lot of them, you know, are, like I said about transformational, they're transforming into people that I don't even think that they thought they would become, including myself. Again, like I said, I mean, I'm not, I'm not above, you know, any of these kids and I'm not above the business. I mean, I'm part of it. And so I have struggles. I, you know, I have problems, I have faults and all of this process, the system has helped me become a, a better me. And I think when you sell parents on that and you truly believe it, you know, when you truly believe that what we're going to do is, is truly help your son or daughter become the best version of, of them. They, they start to buy in. And then when you provide results, I mean, you know, hell, that's really when, when, you know, things start kicking in. Um, you know, I kind of handcuffed myself in the beginning with the branding. We, we, we were like kick nation, you know, and that's my, my Instagram handle or whatever. And a lot of people view that as, Oh, well, he just teaches kids how to like, 
And you're like, well, if you actually knew me, you know that I don't teach kids anything, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm there as a guide. I'm there to allow kids to be curious. Some kids need a like kick, some kids don't. But, hey, let's try it out, you know? And I've surrounded myself with people that are a lot smarter than me um, as business partners that, you know, know a lot about movement, know a lot about the physiology of our student-athletes and, you know, can, can help, um, you know, them problem-solve and, 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 and move better. But like I said, it's, it's a culture. We have nutrition classes, you know, we have, we have classes outside of baseball that, that kids go to. So um, it's become a, a cool little, little environment. And I think if you can create that environment for people, they'll come. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of, it's just a matter of jumping in. And, and one of the things that a lot of people um, I talked to that, you know, said that they're going to try to do is, you know, kind of, we're going to have lessons over here, but then we're also going to have a membership model. And, and to me, I mean, you're contradicting yourself, you know, do you want to be the lesson guy that is the teacher King, or do you want to have the membership model where it's community? So if you're going to jump all in, I mean, you got to jump all in and to steal an economic phrase. I mean, you can't be a little bit pregnant, you know, you either, you're either, you're either pregnant or you're not, you're either running membership community where kids can come every single day and, and become monsters and get after it, mm-hmm. or you're going to do lessons. And this isn't to demonize lessons. I know, you know, I, I know a lot of good people that do lessons, but I do think that the system that we have created is a successful model and it can be replicated. Um, and, you know, I know, I think driveline has a very similar one and, you know, they're, they're, they're doing great stuff up there. And I'm sure there's other facilities that are, that are similar as well um, that have, you know, kind of optimized this, this model, but it's a great one. It really is. Oh, that's fantastic. And let me, let me tell you how much I'm loving this conversation is that we are at 45 minutes in and I don't, I don't think we've really talked baseball at all. Like I haven't, I, I don't remember us talking baseball much at all. We're talking about learning, talking about the flow state. We're talking about culture and I'm absolutely loving this, but let's go ahead. I got, I got, yeah. Yeah. I got to be honest with you. The first, the first 20 minutes, I was like, what the hell am I even talking about? Right so, <laughs> flow state. There so you go. If, if anyone, if, if anyone has seen exactly right, if anyone has made it to this point, Hey, God bless you, man. That's awesome. Good for you. <laughs> well, let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk about, you know, leg kick nation and, and, you know, the actual digging in and, and helping kids get, get, uh, with their swing and, and you, you all, you mentioned that you guys do assessments. You mentioned that you, you know, your team leg kick nation, but that's not what you teach. So, so again, sticking with the, the player who's just getting started, uh, I, I'm guessing you're going to be asking a lot of questions even within his swing, but how do you, again, manipulate the conversation into where he is trying to make changes and owning those? And what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing for me is, is, you know, I, I think the one thing that a teacher can bring to the table and, and the art form behind teaching is kind of knowing when to address something and knowing when to, you know, pull off the gas a little bit. That's really good. So, you know, I always, I always try to figure when do I say something to this kid and when don't I, in the very beginning, I was all the time, see a mistake, fix a mistake, see if, you know, see if, and now the more, you know, times that I've held my talk. So the less I've talked, the greater the results. And that just shows you that I'm probably not the best, you know, teacher in the world, which is, <laughs> which is awesome to see. So, you know, I think when a kid comes in, I like to, I like to let them kind of flow a little bit. You know, I like to see how they like to, to, to train. I like to see how they, they, they think about it, you know, when they, okay, here, here are the T drills that you're going to do today. Here are the front toss drills you're going to do today. Here are the, 
the uh, the VP drills, or and again, we can get into the entire system that we have and the flow days and whatnot. But I, I like to see, well, how do they set the ball up on the tee? How do they set up on the tee? How do they approach other kids? So, for example, we had a 13-year-old kid come in. One of the first days we were open, and we had two Division One hitters, you know, in the facility just crush in 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 the one the one section. And this kid is just standing by himself because he's nervous and doesn't want to go over to those kids. And I'm like, well. Yeah, this is going to be awkward because he's going to sit there for a while because those kids are not going to go up to him and tell him to jump in and start hitting with him. So his mom came in and was like, well, are you going to say anything to him? I'm like, well, not really because I want to see what he does. You know, if I just go over there and tell the kid, hey, why don't you jump in with them? You know, then I literally just took away an opportunity for this kid to learn something. Maybe, you know? Sure. So I was like, well, let's see where this goes. So me and the mom were just watching them, and I'm like, oh, that's getting awkward. You know, as the minutes go by, and the mom was like, what is going on? Uh, well, the kid went and got the kid went and got a bucket of balls and went up to the, these, you know, very good baseball players. It was like, hey, man, you know, I got all these balls. You mind if I jump in? And, and the kids, they were like, yeah, dude, come on in. And what amazed me, I was like, wow, look at this kid, man. He brought something to the table. You know, he went and got a bucket of balls, went to the cage and said, man, let me jump in with you guys. Because he knew he had to bring something. Right. So, you know, that, that in and of itself, you're like, well, that shows me that, you know, this kid can got to figure things out. And then you have other kids that, you know, maybe need a little bit more direction. So in terms of that plot as applicable to their movements and their swings and whatnot. So some of the kids, they need me to, to, to you know, kind of help them out. I'm videoing every swing. We're going over every swing. And then there's some kids that just need to flow and just, you know, you know, Stevie, just shut up for 15 minutes, you know, get the hell away from them. And that's sort of the art form, I guess, that, you know, all of our instructors are, are trying to, you know, master is when do you say something? When do you not say something? When is something becoming an issue? When is something not an issue? And, you know, are you the proper outlet for that kid? And that's part of the great community. I mean, you know, we have a group, every, every, there's groups that form in, inside our, our facility. So, you know, and there's always the alphas. So maybe this kid, you know, will relate better if he gets information from a different kid. So you, you, you tell the other kid, hey, man, you ever think about talking to him about XYZ? And then he goes and talks about XYZ, you know? So there's ways to, to use the community to help instruction where you're not directly instructing the kid. Um, and then again, like I said, there's other times where, yeah, you know, you need to, you know, <laughs> do your job and instruct the kid a little bit. But that's that's sort of how how we do it. It's, it's case by case basis. It's individualized. But you know, I, I do want to make it clear, like I said, for the for the four listeners that are still listening to me brain a lot. You know, there is. I will say there's a there's a system in place. You know, kids just don't come in and just do whatever the hell, you know do whatever the hell they want. Um, you know, we have we have we have different days carved out for different things. And Monday, Wednesday, Friday is our what we call technique day. So it's a lot of low-level central nervous system stuff where we're just working on mechanics, PVC pipe swings, a lot of Parker's, you know, Ryan Parker's uh, movement drills that I stole from him because mm-hmm. um, the dude's, you know, dude's a genius and when it comes to that stuff. So that's that's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Tuesday, Thursday. That's when we're we're, we're trying to train that club. So every every week there's usually a different challenge for most of the high school kids. It's the velo challenge, and what we're doing is we're putting the velo up a little bit past, I'll say, their capacity. So, um, you know, for a high school kid, we'll say that's 88 to 92 for most high school kids. So you put, you put the hack attack up to 88, 92. You, they come in, you kick it at them at 88, 92, so they get flowing a little bit. You know, the brain, the brain starts going, and then they have to find what is going to, you know, center them for the rest of the hour. 
you know, and I'm, and, and they go and whether it's listen to music, whether it's go, you know, hell, go get a lift, whether it's go sit down for an hour, whether it's go swing for an hour on a seat, whatever they got to do. And then they come back to that challenge and then we just challenge the hell out of them. So, and we see if they can conquer the challenge and, you know, hopefully, hopefully they leave failing, but failing up, you know, failing in a good way. So then they're growing. And then, like you said before, they want to come back. <laughs> you know, that's, that's generally what we do. And it's, it's pretty amazing to see how quickly they adapt to the, to the, to the challenges and the problems. And, and, you know, we throw, we throw all sorts of stimulants at them. I mean, I, uh, we go live a lot of times, like our team and our other fishing uh, instructors will go live at them. Um, we talk a, a lot of shit, you know, that's, we talk a lot. I mean, we're from New Jersey, so I guess that's, that's you know, part of the course, but sure. we talk a lot of trash. And, you know, again, the reasoning we're doing all this is we're trying our best to kick them out of flow. Mm-hmm. You know, we're trying to get into their brains to make them think about things because if they can stay in it, if they can stay singularly focused, and conquer this task with, with this, you know, challenge that is above their capacity with us talking trash to them, with, with the environment surrounding them, then, you know, I think they're going to be pretty successful, you know, in a real game. So it's setting kids up in, a, in an environment that is, that is uh, competitive as all hell, you know, to try to, try to force them to succeed, well, fail in order to succeed. Sure. And, you know, just to just to further your point, and <laughs> this last week, I love you know we we throw live to the kids too, and and we've got several guys that played at a decently high level, and then you've got myself, which which you know I I <laughs> I'm just okay, but uh, so we get thirty feet away with an L screen and and just talks exactly what you're talking about, just talk so much trash and and mix BP yeah. and it just yep. I think that was literally our best day last week, and I don't know I I know for a fact that they got less than 10 hits against us but we were just letting them have and then they would square one up and then the entire just cage full of pe- full of kids that were surrounding it would just go nuts just because again you're you're trying to get them to fail up and and I think that's fantastic and uh again we just call it dirty 30 just because we're we're trying to show them how good how good we used to be or at least how good we said we used to sure. be but no you No, I was gonna say that's exact that's that's exactly that's exactly what we do. I mean I post a bunch of Instagram videos of, of just that, you know, where mm-hmm. it strikes out, strikes out, next kid up. And, and we're just talking trash, talking this. And then all of a sudden one kid scolds the ball and he, and the place just erupts going nuts, you know, yeah, and definitely. Um, chest, you know, chest puffs out and, and whatnot. That's, you know, again, we keep going back to flow and whatnot, but that's the other part of this. And, you know, we don't want kids cowering in both you know, psychologically and physically. So, the one thing that I see all the time from youth hitters when I go to, you know, because we have a travel program, when I see when I see youth hitters on other teams, on our teams, when they fail, you know, they they slump the shoulders, you know, and their their head goes down, and their 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 physical nature changes, which you know it has a has a connection to our neurology, you know, mm-hmm. that Absolutely. how how we how we stand and how we hold ourselves is also key to this, so. You know, when we're doing these live things, it's another thing we talk about. How are you looking in the box? How are you walking to the box? How are you addressing the pitcher? How are you doing all this stuff? Because, again, not only does that, you know, affect how the pitcher is going to react or the hitter is going to react if you're a pitcher, um, how they're going to feel about the situation, it's also going to affect what your brain is doing. You know, again, there was a, there was a TED Talk, a wonderful study about the Wonder Woman pose where, you know, they had women, you know, posing like Wonder Woman um, for two minutes and, 
you know, it changed a lot of the neurochemicals in their brain and made them more influential and testosterone and all this good stuff was flowing. And you're like, well, that was literally just by changing the way they were standing. So we address all of that during the, you know, again, these, what we call the flow days. And, you know, I, I always tell the kids, which I thought you're a history buff. I thought one of the coolest things I've seen over the last couple of years or read was about um, Anne Boleyn, you know, and, mm-hmm. and she's, you know, going to get killed, you know, and, and she's going, you know, to get beheaded. And, you know, she gives this, she gives this speech and, you know, she was completely cool. You know, she was completely stoic, you know, in the acceptance of her feet. And you're like, how the hell is that possible? Yeah. You know, but, you know, and, and there's a quote I always tell the kids, Samuel Johnson. So, you know, when a man knows he's going to be hanged in the morning, his, you know, he concentrates his mind wonderfully. You know, when you're going to battle and you're flowing, you know, you're, you're stoic. So we try to tell all the kids about this during those compete days and flow days as well, again, back to our, our, our other points, if they're doing this in a baseball setting, hopefully it transcends into their real world as well. Sure, sure. You know, a, a guy that I think that every single coach in the world can respect is Nick Saban. And, and I've been listening to a podcast about him, and, and it's it's been awesome. It's like a seven or eight-part series, but their strength coach named Scott Cochran, he talked about like when they're in their training, they don't allow any slumping he said that they they have gotten to a point now to where they'll have bosses from their former players that will catch their 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 former Alabama players now and their employees uh, or their former Alabama players before, but employees now, and they will catch themselves in mid yawn and stop themselves because they don't want to show any sort of weakness and. <laughs> You know, it, I, I think I find that fascinating because, again, some of, some on social media would call that eyewash, but I mean, it, it truly does have some psychological effects of, hey, you've got slumped shoulders, you're bending over. That's just showing one yourself that you're done. But uh, I mean, that's 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 been passed down for generations and generations, thousands of years of, hey, this dude's done. Like, and that's just like you mentioned with the Wonder Woman pose. I, I again, I find that study fascinating and. And it's just one of those things that it's, you know, it may seem like eyewash on the outside, but is it truly having an effect? If it is, not eyewash to me, for sure. (laughs) No, exactly right. And again, like I said, I mean, anything that we do or we say or we try to preach to the kids, A, we try to practice. Sure. Um, So that Nick Saban Saban thing is, is just awesome. But, you know, I've seen it. You know, I've seen all these kids that come in that, you know, maybe are less confident. And the simple fact, that they're training with someone, you know, that they respect, that is has success in the baseball world. You know, you can see their posture change. You mm-hmm. can see every the, the way they walk change. You know, they they walk with a little bop now. You know, they got a little swag to them. And for me, it's so funny. Whenever we see that, I'm always like, yeah, I just got swag now in his walk. And I guarantee you, he's going to be better at the plate as well. And it always is the case. And you're like, dude, it's unbelievable. And and again, it's back to that. That debate on Twitter. Don't swing like Josh Donaldson. You're not a major league player. Well, again, if you're not if you're not acting like a champion before you're a champion, you know, then you're never actually going to be a champion. You know, so if you're not acting the if you're not acting the part before you are actually the part, well, then it's never going to happen for you. So, you know, again, that's that's a a huge huge thing in our facility and a huge thing that I think most people, whether they want to say it's eyewash or not, you know, should probably embrace. Well, this may be completely out of left field, but I, you know, I, being a being a coach that's surrounded by 30, 40 players at a time, 
I've, I've really gotten heavily into constraints just because I can't, I don't want to say I can't coach them up all the time, but there's going to be times in practice where I can't kind of critique what they're going on, but I still want them to be able to have immediate feedback on what they're trying to do. So uh, what are some of your favorite constraints? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's physical constraints and mental constraints. And I think like, you know, we've just been saying, I keep repeating myself about, you know, this physical and mental connection. Um, but I think it's huge. So, you know, the physical constraints that we do, give an example, there's a, there's a kid who, who just came in and, and I, we put his, he didn't use his body very well. He's not very good. You know, he doesn't rotate very well, but he's a strong kid and athletic kid. So we're like, well, you know, why, why is that? So I was like, well, you know, let's, let's take his arms out of the equation. So we, we, we rest the bat. It's a popular, you know, popular constraint. I think a lot of people use, but we you rest the bat on the side of the shoulder, it's not the neck slot, but it's the side of the shoulder. And most people, I think, do that on flips. But, you know, again, just hell with it. Why not? We were like, yeah, let's just go see what it looks like in Hackensack. You know, let's go see what it looks like against nine. You know, yeah, yeah that's it. Let's, you know, let's have some fun with this. Why not? And again, that's the beauty of this, too, is we got time. Let's go do this. Mm-hmm. So the kid's like, yeah, you know, let's, let's do this. We, we damped up. And so he rolls in there. And, and for the last two weeks, I don't think he touched the ball in Hackensack. I mean, he was just not even close. And he, he from this constraint, he starts putting balls. You know, 350, 380. Before the boy, he was 390 from the constraint. Wow. And we're like, well, damn. Well, damn. <laughs> you know, that's pretty dope. That, that one is a, is a popular one with, with kids that, you know, struggle. I'll say, you know, rotate, rotational capacity, resting, taking the arms out of the swing. Um, because ever since we were little, we've been trained to swing with our arms because the goal when you're little is to put the ball in play. Sure. The easiest thing to do, the easiest way to put the ball in play is literally just to throw the barrel at the baseball with your hands. So you, you, you're kind of stunting your rotational capacity. So a lot of the younger kids and, and even the upper high school kids that we have, you know, they struggle with, with rotation. So that's one of the big constraints that we use in terms of, of, of physical um, capacities. And, you know, mental capacities, like I said, I mean, the, the talking trash to kids, you know, uh, uh, constraints. It's just a mental constraint. Just, but, um, talking trash to kids is a mental constraint. Itself. Videoing kids is a mental constraint. So what we'll do a lot of times, I'll take the video camera out. I'll be like, yeah, we're, we're Instagram living this. Mm-hmm. It always does like, go. oh, God damn it. You know, <laughs> you know now I'm going to look like an idiot to see followers on Instagram live. And if anyone follows my Instagram account, they know that we get hundreds of comments of negative hate every day. So kids are like, oh, I'm going to get hated on today. So that's just like, you know, again, something else to constrain their mind in order to help them grow. Um, so we try to we try to balance physical constraints, mental constraints. We use Jason uh, O'Chart's weighted bath program. We, you know, we have weighted bath, um, which is some kids benefit greatly from it. So those are the kids that we try to to use to, to utilize it. That program, um, which is you know an awesome program as well. So there's a there's a few of the constraints that we use in our training. I love it. And, you know, sticking on the same subject, you're talking about getting kids to rotate better. What are some of the most problem, uh, common problems that you see with kids that, that are coming to you? Yeah, again, I mean, mechanical problems that we see with kids is the, the, biggest, the biggest thing is a negative, um, you know, attack angle. Most, most every kid, <laughs> I mean, I really, I hate to say most every kid, but literally most every kid when they first come in, mm-hmm. um, if they've been going to lessons for a long time, They've been taught or trained to, you know, sort of swing down on a baseball. And I'm not, you know, here to get into the argument, I guess, with swing down and swing up. There's, there's both components of, a, of a, an efficient swing, in my opinion. But 
in a lesson setting, the other problem I have with lessons and why that's created is, you know, when I have a kid here, the, the ultimate success of a lesson is getting the kid to make contact, you know? So if a kid just swings and misses the entire lesson, he's going to be miserable and leave and say, that coach sucks. So how do you get a kid to just, you know, kind of make contact? You know, you just say, hey, man, just, you know, get, get real wide, get your foot down early and just throw your hands to the baseball and I'll hit your back for you. You know what I mean? Um, and that's generally what happens in a lot of these lessons. So the kids get, get back from the lesson, you know, to just, just kind of throw the hands and not rotate properly. And then they go in a game. And again, how do you win games at the youth level is, is hitting ground balls because the range of the fielders are really weak and the arms are weak and everyone makes errors. So put the ball on the ground. So, you know, how do you do that? Well, you just kind of throw your hands and let the barrel hit the ball. And, you know, if you're a big, huge kid that can do that and still hit a, hit a fly ball, you know, home run on a 200-foot field, then you're a superstar. But most of the kids are still swinging down either way. So when they come to us, I mean, that attack angle is, yeah, like I said, nine, nine times out of ten is negative. That's the first thing that, you know, we start, we start trying to clean up a little bit. Or not clean up, but just, you know, tell the kids, show the kids, show the kids the data you know, and show the kids swing. You know, I'm a very big video guy. I love taking video, showing kids the video, putting them side by side with the major league guy and say, you know, this is what they do. What are you doing differently? And have them give me the feedback of what they see. And then, especially when they're little, provide them with external cues to, to help maybe change a pattern. So the biggest thing that we have going for us is we don't have cages. We have just like one giant facility that has one giant cage. So our ceilings are you know, 40, 45 feet. So it's easy to say, dude, hit, hit that light up there, which is 45 feet in the air. And the kid's like, really? You know, and again, you're allowing the kid to, to explore and be curious because for, for years he's thought hitting the L screener is, is the, you know, the objective. So all of a sudden he starts doing that and the swing cleans up a little bit. We had a kid two years ago who had a real bad negative attack angle. And I just told him that every time he came into the facility, just to throw a ball to himself and hit it over center goes head as far as he can. So he would just throw the ball. I mean, I'm talking hundreds of times. Just throw the ball up, hit it over center goes head. Throw it up, hit it over center goes head. So then during the season, on deck, he would do that. He would pretend to throw a ball up and then hit it over the center fielder's head. And I went to a game, and he actually did that in the box once. Like, we stepped out, he threw it up, hit it and then hit the ball like 450 feet dead center, bomb. It was awesome. Wow. So a lot of that, you know, helps, again, just helps kids, you know, maybe find a movement that makes more sense, you know? And, and we were big on playing out in the facility to, for barrel control so that what does a negative attack angle feel like and what does a positive angle feel like? So if you're familiar with the game out, the basketball game, um, or a horse, I guess some people play horse since won't get into anyone who plays horse, but um, – <laughs> For people who play who people play horse or out, um, since we have such a big facility, you know, we play that on a tee. So, okay, I'm going to hit that, you know, sign over there, you know, and next guy, if you hit it, the next guy goes. But that enables kids to use all the pack angles, you know, and, and, and they get to feel, okay, then what does is, what is my swing feel like when I'm hitting the ball on the ground? What does my swing feel like when I'm hitting the ball 45 feet in the air that might be too high? Um, and kind of optimize their swing for themselves. Um, and again, like I said, we're just there kind of guiding the way. No, that's fantastic, and I love that. That's that's really, 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 really good. And and so, uh, you know, before you go, I we've talked a lot about your players, and it, it sounds like you've literally got them hooked into coming every single day. But if so, say you walk into the facility, and I know you've got kind of a model that that you talked about and you shared with us, and I'm I'm thankful that you did. 
But say that you walked in one day and you were like, hey, guys, we're doing this today. What would that thing be that just gets them so excited? Would it be the compete days? or And, and if it's not, I, I want to hear what your feedback is uh, or what else it could be. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> two things. One, like I said, all of our instructors are most competitive people on the planet. Like, I still think if LeBron James came to the gym, I'd, be, I'd beat him one-on-one, you know, like just stuff like, <laughs> stupid stuff like that, you know. We, we compete in everything. So we have different games that we do. Like, uh, and some of your listeners definitely know Spikeball. Oh, yeah, so we're cool. we're the spike ball mecca. You know, we play spike ball all the time. So if, if we, you know, a couple of weeks ago on Saturday, we had a spike ball tournament. So we didn't play baseball. We had really hell with it. Let's do spike ball. So we had a whole day of spike ball. Uh, I don't know. We had like thirty teams that came and played. You know, had a spike ball tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, obviously, I won. But <laughs> if, if we shut it down, it's always there's always going to be some sort of competitive element. Um, and we we have a wall ball game that we play on steroids. It's, it's wall ball on steroids. That's a really fun game that we play. And then the live day. So if, if, if there was a day that, you know, we, we shut down and said, this is what we're going to do and everybody gets jacked up, it would be, it would be either spike ball day or live day. And I think everyone would, uh, everyone would show up on those days. That's an anxious. So that's, uh, that's really the, uh, the two biggest things that, you know, I think kids would, would really get jacked up over. We couldn't go this entire episode without you giving yourself the plug for greatest spike ball player in the world. I mean, I am. I mean, it's like, you know, if anyone thinks they're better, you know, 1930, heck, Avenue, New Jersey, you know, we got a, we got a running spike ball court, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty freakish, but yeah, I mean, again, like, I just think that adding things like that, again, it just helps define the culture a little bit. So you're not just hitting baseball from it. You also play spike ball and like I said, everything transcends. So there's a lot of movement that transcends in the game of spike ball, the baseball is crazy. Um, and then the mental stuff. So, you know, you can flow during spike ball just as easily as you can flow during hitting a baseball. So, got it. Now, so we have some listeners out there who who are like, "Man, Steve, I I really want to dig into some of the stuff that you're talking about, and it may be a little over my head right now, but I, I really want to. I really think you're onto something, and I want to dig more into it. Uh, where would you send those guys for you know some of your favorite resources, books, or just things that have shaped your coaching career? Yeah, I mean, everyone who's on hitting Twitter, I guess, knows. Know, the both the both the positives and the perils of, of hitting Twitter. To be honest with you, I, for the longest longest time, I thought it was actually a page on Twitter, and I, I I've been looking for it. And I was like, <laughs> dude, I have no idea where the hell this hitting Twitter thing is. But um, then you know, then I then I kind of kind of realized and asked some questions. But you know, hitting Twitter has been huge. Just just meeting people, you know, like yourself, like Ryan Parker, Dave Mochart, um, Dawes, the uh, Trent Otis down, you know. Uh, Zona hitting, um, you know, all really, really good dudes with great information. I take a little bit of, of it from all of them. And to be honest with you, I take a little bit from people that I don't agree with because, like I said, I mean, there's what, what do we really know? You know, we don't know anything 100%. So there's a probability or possibility that you could be wrong. So I always try to take another side of an argument and just kind of kind of see if I'm right, if I'm wrong, and whatnot. And I think Twitter is a, is a pretty cool place if you let it be, <laughs> or it could be a really ugly place if you mm-hmm. let it be as well. You know, some of the books that you know, that you mentioned are, are awesome. Yeah, it's set me high. Stephen uh, Cotler's works have been have been really cool. I mentioned the inner game of tennis before. That's, um, that's a great. That's it's a, it's just an unbelievable uh, unbelievable read. And to be honest with you, you know, I know the first half hour we spent talking about you know you know my trouble with school <laughs> and the education system and 
you know, I think the crisis that we're that we're facing. But a lot of the books, you know, are educationally based. You know, you can apply to athletic education. You know, so there was a, a best-selling book that just came out called Educated. And it was about this this woman who was homeschooled. You just see how people learn in different environments. You know, so I think reading other things other than just baseball specific or strength and training specific stuff um, is also really really important. And um, the one thing I, that that I mentioned before that I think is the biggest, one of the coolest things that we've done in the facility and is getting kids to read. You know, and and I, I read. I was reading a book, Thinking Slow and Fast by Daniel Kahneman, and I was talking about it, you know, to one of the kids. And all of a sudden, you know, he sends in the group chat a picture of the book that he bought, you know, and then all of a sudden the next day, two other kids took a a, a picture of the book that they bought it. So, you know, if if you can inspire kids to read, you can inspire kids to, you know, do things outside of, of baseball, like I said, to transcend, you know, the cage, I think then, you know, that's when... You know, you're on the right path. And, um, you know, those are some of the resources that, that I've used. I'm always looking for really cool stuff to read. I love to read. So if anyone has really good books, you know, I know there's a word for it. My wife hates it. There's, there's like a technical term for the guy who buys, you know, book and book and book and book and doesn't read them. <laughs> um, I'm that guy. I have I have thousands of books and I, and, I, and I read a bunch of them, but I seem to be buying more than, I'm, than I read, unfortunately. So, um, you know, if anyone has any recommendations, I'm all here as well. Yeah, so if they do, where would they reach you? Yeah, uh, you know, Instagram is Life Kick Nation. And then on Twitter, a funny, <laughs> funny story, I was Life Kick Nation. And then uh, I changed it to the name of our business. Our, our business name is actually called Team Invictus. Um, so I changed it for a little bit uh, to Team Invictus. And then I was like, well, you know, let me go back to Life Kick Nation just because that's what people knew me as. And when I went back, someone already stole it and actually like posted a post to troll me. Oh and I was like, God oh, damn it. <laughs> so I had this I had to change it to Light Kick Nation OG, you know. <laughs> so Light Kick Nation original. So I'm on Instagram, I'm Light Kick Nation OG. And I mean I'm Light Kick Nation OG on Twitter. And on Instagram, I'm just Light Kick Nation. Got it. Well, uh, Steve, you you've been uh, it's been a tremendous honor to be able to have you on and and you've left us with a lot to think about, which I think is is literally your goal every single day for people who are who are with you. And and I, I can't thank you enough. But is there anything else that you'd like to really tell our listeners, or anything else that you want to talk about before you go? Um, I mean, you know, yeah. Well, I guess the first is to thank you too, because I've actually never done anything like this. So this is this is definitely unique and interesting, and definitely outside the uh, my comfortability. So I appreciate appreciate you for having me but you know like i said i think i think all of us have that that would be listening to your podcast have the same goal we're all trying to help students learn we're all trying to help students get better and we're all trying to help you know athletes achieve their goals and you know i think if we can all kind of somehow get together and 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 help each other um we can leverage the community and that's sort of you know kind of what i'm all about so you know, if, if anyone wants to reach out, I would love to have conversations about how they're creating, you know, mindful, innovative thinkers, because that's, to me, you know, kind of my passion and goal in life. So I'm all ears, and I would love to talk to, to a lot of people about it. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. 
You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.